a lot of bad has happened. And this is the thing. People try to avoid those conversations, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I've heard before is, you know, Leonor, we shouldn't say research when we go into the community. We should use some other term because research will scare them off. For me, my approach has been, why not use that word? Because it opens up a conversation that needs to be had. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe, the place to learn more about how to navigate the healthcare system and how to take care of your health in plain language. I'm your host, Nikita Boston Fisher, a health educator with a passion for meeting people where they are. Our guest today is Ms. Leonor Okwara. Leonor is the founder of Public Health Research Consulting, and she's an expert in community-engaged research. Today, she's going to share with us how she got into this domain of community-engaged research and what she does to build trust with the communities she works with. Let's get to the episode. Hi, Leonore. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Absolutely. My name is Leonore Oquara. I am a public health researcher. I'm a community engager. I love what I do. I'm CEO and founder of Public Health Research Consulting, where I help researchers at all levels engage the community as well as meet the unique needs of the funder. Because we know the community needs, the funder's needs are so different. So how do you bridge that gap? So with my 15 years of community-engaged research experience all across the country, I help researchers not have to reinvent the wheel. I tell them about my best practices, building trust with the community, as well as getting that day-to-day work done when conducting research. I'm also starting a nonprofit called Association of Black Researchers. And so I'm excited about that. And my whole goal is to create a community. And we know how important community is, how important it is not to feel like you're alone and have to develop things on your own. So why not connect with people who have experience and you can learn from, and you don't have to create anything on your own. So especially when dealing with the community, that's a little bit about me. I can go on and on. I have three kids, husband in the military, (laughs) will soon retire, live in Maryland. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Wow. You've got a lot going on there. (laughs) Could you tell me please what motivated you to get into this field? I needed a job. Like that's really what started it. My husband, you know, as I said, was in the military. We just moved to Virginia and I needed to work. And I had applied to a public health program. So I was accepted there. And I just so happened to get a research assistant job at the medical school I applied to for my program. And when I started as a research assistant, my main role was to recruit in the community. I had no idea what research was (laughs) and I had no idea what it entailed, but I knew that they hired me to interact with the community, engage with the community, try to recruit people for a research study. And at that point, I didn't know about, you know, the historical abuse that happened in the past. I knew nothing about that. I just knew I was equipped with this research knowledge and I was supposed to go out there and recruit people door to door. And so that was a pivotal point in my career because I learned about the importance of true community connection and how they aren't prioritizing research at all. And so while I, you know, went into this by chance, 
that experience really helped me realize like, this is what I want to do. Like, I love the community engagement part. I love having conversations around research, which is hard. (laughs) When you recruit people, especially the Black community, which I worked in at first, and you mentioned research, that is something that they completely slam the door in your face. Like, I heard about what happened in the past, and I don't want that to happen to me. So in terms of motivation, it started out, like I said, as just I needed a job, and it ended up being just the right position and aligned with my passion. So tell us a little bit more about community-engaged research and how it works. Normally with research, it's sort of like community place. And what that means is that a researcher, you know, looks at the data, looks at the statistics and says, hey, this community has higher rates of untreated diabetes, and I'm going to write this grant to NIH and, you know, make this convincing argument that I have the skills to come save the community. They get the grant and they go do the work. That's community play. Community engaged or community-based participatory research is including the community in the process. So while the researcher may feel that diabetes is priority, they then partner with the community and the community says, diabetes is important, but we need food. We need transportation. You know, we need to figure out how to pay for medical appointments. And so it really is a partnership between researchers and the community. It is a bi-directional relationship where they learn from each other. The researcher goes in with the research process knowledge and the community comes in with the lived experience knowledge and they develop a sustainable relationship based on mutual understanding. So it really is incorporating the community in the process, building capacity, helping them to see the value in taking on that responsibility of helping to change their health outcomes. So community engaged work is just that. It's a lot of work, it's engagement, but what comes from it is this sustainable relationship. So when the researchers leave, the grant funding runs out, the community is still able to sustain those positive impacts. Because can you imagine if you're part of a research study, something amazing happened to you, you had these great health outcomes that you've never experienced before. And then all of a sudden the researcher says, oh, I mean, the funding's ended, so sorry. And you wonder like, wait a minute, this is my life. You know, I know this is just a project to you, but I have to continue living with this. And I just experienced something good. So that's what community-based participatory research is, is really including the community in the process so they can sustain those outcomes. That is really so true because that happens all the time, which is sometimes why researchers get a bad rap in the community. Okay, they got their data and they've now disappeared until someone else now comes looking and wants to study us again. And it's like they make it bad for the rest who come behind them. They do. And I've had that happen where I go into a community and they say, this university came and, you know, you guys are on thin ice. So if you guys mess this up, like we will never participate in research again. And having that conversation with the community was really eye-opening for me and put a lot of pressure on me, but good pressure that I feel like all researchers should go in with that pressure. You know, if you mess this up, that's it. You can mess it up for future researchers who may have life-saving studies (laughs) for this community. And now because of miscommunication or some sort of, you know, bad interaction, now you have ruined that trust and have prevented them from getting the benefit of future studies. But 
Yeah, it is. It's difficult. Mm -hmm. It is definitely difficult. How do you sustain when the money runs out, though? Yeah, so sustainability is so important. And so it's so important that people think, especially with research studies, you write a grant, and then towards the end of the grant, you talk about how are we going to sustain this? Sustainability needs to happen in the beginning. And so that's why it's important to include the community in this. And that capacity building is so important because you are helping the community understand that you guys have everything you need in the community. These are the strengths of your community to continue the work. For example, if we have a study where we are teaching the community about cancer awareness, we're giving, you know, talking about cancer knowledge, we're talking about cancer screenings. When the money runs out, if we are the ones giving those presentations, the education ends once the money runs out. But if we train the community members to give those presentations, then when we leave, they're able to continue giving those presentations long term. So that's how you do it. You train people, you talk about sustainability up front, you give them the tools they need based on the information they give you about what's important to them. And that's how sustainability works. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's not that simple. But (laughs) for the sake of this podcast, um, that's essentially what you do. What are some (laughs) of the challenges that are involved in research? I heard you mention one already, which is the whole trust issue. But can you go into that some more and then maybe tell us about some other challenges as well? Yeah. So trust, I think, is the most important thing to address immediately. And I think what researchers don't realize until it's too late is that trust building takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And when you're a researcher and you have all these deadlines or you just come up with an idea and you get this grant funded and you realize, oh my goodness, I have no one in the community to connect with, it is hard to then quickly build a relationship with the community. So the challenge lies in building that trust and where it is genuine and not just something where you're just trying to collect the data, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And so that is the most challenging part because it's hard. It takes a long time. It can be exhausting, but that is something that needs to be done well. And if you know the community you want to work with, then you need to start building relationships with them now. Even if you're, you know, a senior investigator or you're new to research, you need to get in the community and start showing up and volunteering and connecting with them outside of research and understanding what they care about. And for me, I've had to do this every time we move to a different station in the military. I am new to the community. They have never seen my face. And now here I am recruiting them for a research study. It's like, who are you? So it really takes a lot of trying to get myself out there. Are they having a health fair? Are they having a food drive? Are they having a toy drive? You know, do they have different church events that I can show up to and show my face? Are there places where I can volunteer? You know, are there trusted community figures like a nonprofit or like a clinic where I could say, my name is Leonor. What do you need me to do just so I can show up and show my face um, so that when I talk to them about what's going on, they aren't completely thrown back by it. So yeah, definitely building trust is hard and it's a challenge, but we all need to do it. The other thing is figuring out how to balance meeting the needs of the community as well as your deadlines for the funder or the institution. They're two different groups and one really doesn't care about what the other things, especially with the community. Their priority is not your research or your research deadline. 
parents, you know, they have kids to take care of, groceries to buy, you know, jobs to work. And they aren't thinking about, oh, I need to send this annual report to the funder by June 10th. They're not thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And so it's really difficult to sort of balance the two where it's like you're kind of putting pressure on the community to get those um, phone calls in and complete the surveys. But then on the flip side, you're also talking to the funder and saying, we're dealing with the community. (laughs) Like we are on their time. So while, you know, you may want this by this date, it may not happen. So especially the pandemic, you know, throughout the pandemic, everyone's research schedule has been completely thrown off. Mm -hmm. And so funders have had to get used to that request or those sort of reports where it's like, I couldn't recruit, you know, because of the pandemic. So yeah, those are, that's a really big challenge, trying to meet the needs of both and satisfy the timelines of both and get what you need to get done while developing a relationship with the community. When you write your grants or the timeline for your grants, do you include that getting to know you time up front that needs to happen? Do you build in that trust building portion? You should be able to, but it depends on the funder. You know, if a funder is giving you millions of dollars, they don't want to pay you a third of that to build trust for the first year, you know? So you kind of have to know who your community is beforehand. And once you know, start building that relationship or really think about that engagement plan once the grant is funded, because not everybody has, you know, the luxury of building community trust for six months to a year beforehand. So that's something that you really need to think about and talk to people. That's why, you know, I feel it's important to have a community of researchers to talk to and see how did you do it? You know, if you had to try to engage the community in a meaningful way, how did you do it in a short amount of time? But Yeah. Building relationships is key. You need as much time as you have, but most times funders aren't going to pay you for developing relationships. Well, they should, because that's important. And that just helps (laughs) long-term with everything. So, yeah. You mentioned in the beginning, and this ties to your trust point, you know, you go into communities, you knock on doors and they're like, I heard what happened. See you later. What do you say? How do you respond? Because it's true. A lot of bad has happened. A lot of bad has happened. And this is the thing. People try to avoid those conversations, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I've heard before is, you know, Leonore, we shouldn't say research when we go into the community. We should use some other term because research will scare them off. For me, my approach has been, why not use that word? Because it opens up a conversation that needs to be had, especially because when you look at the institution, there's a consent form that the institution approves. When you recruit a participant, they have to sign the consent form, right? The consent form has the word research in it (laughs) and has to. That's a requirement. So if I don't say it and here I am, you know, they're all on board for the study. They're ready to participate, excited. Then I'm going through the consent form and they see the word research for the first time. That is a way that I am, you know, contributing to the mistrust (laughs) because now they're suspicious. Like you didn't mention research. So I feel like any opportunity to talk about those things and the, the history of abuse and experimentation, especially marginalized communities, Black people have, you know, a terrible history with researchers and there is historical trauma. Imagine you, you know, 
being at the hands of a researcher, being mistreated and all kinds of crazy things are happening to you, your children without your consent. And then you find out what's really going on. Guess what? I'm telling my mom, I'm telling my grandma, I'm telling my sister's friends, then they're telling their friends, they're telling their grandchildren, and it just goes down the line. And so when you have this historical mistrust of research, then if you are trying to change that narrative, you have to be comfortable with having that that conversation. So for me, when I talk to people, I say, look, I know this is what happened and this is what you've heard, but this is how things have changed. You are involved in every single part of the process. This consent form outlines everything you need to do. And what does it say here? You can withdraw at any time. You don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. Here's a phone number to contact outside of our research team. If you feel like there's any funny business going on, call it and tell what you want to tell. You know, if you want the research result, you can have a general findings report, you know. So having those conversations, I've had them several times over the years. And it just really helps people understand the transparency of my research team. I can't speak for everyone else, but when dealing with me, they know, okay, Leonore is going to tell me how it is. I'm able to go to her with any questions. She's going to tell me what the next step in the process is. Even though we go over it at the beginning, I'm still going to let them know because like I said, my research is not their priority. So if I tell you, you have 10 research visits in the year, you're not going to remember all of that. Like I'm going to have to tell you. And so those conversations have been really rich in helping to alleviate those fears because I mean, it, it's here and it's real, you know, and it's justified. So I feel like it's up to us as researchers um, to have those hard conversations. Another interesting thing I think that might happen sometimes, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but you're Black. Yeah. And so some people might say, okay, well, we need work in the Black community. We'll send Leonor because she's Black and it's just going to be all fantastic because they match. That's not true, I'm pretty sure. So tell, tell us how that goes down sometimes because we are not a monolith. Oh my gosh. So that first job I had, that's why that was key. I'm so happy you asked this. That's why that was key. So here I am, like, mind you, my research investigator had trained me on how to recruit. I'm thinking, okay, I'm recruiting in the Black community. I'm Black. Like, I'm in, you know, I was like 20, 21 or something at the time. So I'm going in, have my research job and going door to door. Let me tell you, as a Black woman recruiting in a Black community for a research study, being Black got my toe in the door. Not even my foot, but my toe. They were willing to open the door for me. But I still had to work. I still had to show up. They would have events. I had to show up. We had to be there on a daily basis. We showed up on a daily basis. And just because I was Black, I was still new to the community. They didn't know me. And I knew I had made it. We were um, doing a research, um, an asthma study. I knew I made it when months later, I would walk past um, this group of residents. And they were like, hey, asthma lady. Okay. So that was just so special to me. And it was really eye opening to me not to wear that chip on my shoulder, thinking this will be easy because I'm black. So they're automatically going to say yes, because it didn't happen. It didn't happen that way. That's a great story. I'll never forget (laughs) it. I made it. (laughs) What are some of your wins in research? So the wins, there are so many. 
but I'm going to talk about one because we could be talking forever. The one win that was so amazing to me was when that organization I told you about who said, you know, Leonore, we've had bad experiences in the past. So you're on thin ice. Like Mm -hmm. when that organization said that to me, I felt really strongly about that. And like I said, there was a lot of pressure on me. And what ended up happening is being transparent with them throughout the process, really being open with them, showing them that I needed them more than they needed me and that I valued their information that they gave their expertise, showing up, showing my face. They became the number one recruiting organization in the research study. And that was the goal was to partner with organizations and have them help us recruit for the study. They were the top recruiter. So here we go. This organization who was like, (laughs) I don't know, to now being the one who was so engaged and so behind the study and committed to the study, being the top performer was amazing. So what we then did was we would acknowledge that. We sent out regular newsletters to our um, communities and we would say, you know, have them front page with stars, just congratulating them. So that was an amazing win to see. And it was very important for me to have that experience because then I felt that pressure of, wow, I could change completely change their perception of research. And once you're kicked out the community, it's hard to come back for that from that. So I really needed that to happen at that point in my career. So I could take that feeling with me to every community. How long did that take? How long were you with them? For like a year and a half. It's so cool to see it. And sometimes it's those little things, you know, that make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Just showing people that you care is so is. key. Yes. Do you have challenges sometimes with researchers and getting them to buy into this concept of community engaged research? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. It's not the newer researchers. I think they're open and they realize like, wow, you know, in order for me to meet my recruitment goals, in order for me to develop sustainable relationships, this needs to happen. But it's for those senior investigators who have, you know, 40 page CVs and like, you know, 20 different NIH R01s that are like pretty heavy hitters in terms of their research topic that I think have difficulty sort of stepping out of that role and saying, even though I'm an investigator and I am up here. I think it's important that I still show up in the community, Uh that this is my research. My name is behind this idea. I'm developing this protocol. And even if I'm different from the community, I'm prioritizing. I still need to show up and stand behind my work. And so that has been difficult because the higher you go up, the less time you have to sort of like spend building relationships. But when you think about the importance of it, that should be something that should be prioritized. I think what's also interesting with researchers is the expectations of their departments. So they are expected to have a certain number of grants. They're expected to have a certain number of publications. And that can, you know, be in the forefront of their mind and, you know, control everything they do. But without the community, without buy-in from the community, you're not going to get those grants. Or if you do, you won't get the numbers that you expected to get. And so what I always like to 
talk to researchers about is if you are writing a publication, if you're writing an annual report, the community is not going to read those journals. I'm just, they're not going to read the journals. Like your peers are, but the community is not. So really when you write those like scientific correspondence or reports, write a lay community report as well with lots of pictures and just high level points, because that's the way you can connect back with them. Just to show them that, you know, you contributed all your expertise to this study for this amount of years or whatever. And so we're thanking you by showing you exactly what you contributed to. And that's something easy that they can do to start building trust if they haven't already. That's really a great example. And sometimes I guess if we're really going to be honest, it's a little bit about putting ego aside a little bit and say, okay, well, they actually don't care that I'm so celebrated. (laughs) They don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really just trying to emphasize the importance of those strong community partnerships. Mm -hmm. When you make the community your partner, you're able to bring them along for the ride. You're able to go along the ride with them and hear their experiences and their input um, and how they think. And what is so great, another win, by the way, is when you see a community partner who has gone through this process with you become a published author or present at a national conference, or take the information they've learned, and their organization is now applying for federal grants and winning them. That is major. Whereas before that relationship, they weren't doing any of that. That is a win. And the win for us is now knowing the community, being integrated with the community, where they call on us and say, I'm having this health fair, I need you to come. And we're like, okay, we got you. Or I need a speaker about something completely unrelated. And it's like, okay, I have that network. Let me send an email out to the university or to the institution, you know, to say my community organization partner needs help. So it's just such a beneficial relationship. It's a lot of work, but it's just so worth it. And I wish that everybody would just stop and see how they can just integrate it. Just, you know, where they are right now in their research journey, even if it's just, you know, something simple. As a research coordinator, it's sounding very much like you are a go-between. Do you ever feel tugged in one direction or the other when you're having conflicts about, well, community needs this, but the research team needs that? Absolutely. And I think it's hard. It's hard being in the middle Mm -hmm. because I'm the community voice, but then I'm also the institutional voice. But for me, where I am, the community is my priority. And so sort of trying to convince the institution about the community needs and being able to relay that information where it's like, I understand we have to do this a certain way or we have to do it by this point, but that's not going to work for the community. So would you rather report back to the funder like we couldn't make this deadline or would you rather talk to the funder and say, you know, there may have been a change of plans or the IRB and say, instead of recruiting this way, we're going to recruit this way. Like you just have to be flexible. And I think, you know, that's a systems thing, too. Like the IRB has to be understanding about that. The um, funder has to be understanding about that. And so, yeah, definitely is difficult to be that go between, especially when you're a program manager, research coordinator research assistant, and you don't feel like you have as much power at the institutional level. It's just sometimes you just have to say you're just, you know, reporting back from the community. So you have to be bold in doing that. Are there any myths or misconceptions about 
community-based research that you want to dispel? Yeah, I mean, and I mentioned this before, and you mentioned this as well, just having that ego, like that you are, the misconception is that the research is coming there to save the community. And that is just not the case. <laughs> That's not the case at all. And I, I think, you know, we as researchers need to take a step back and see how we are partners in this and not really the people coming to save the day. We have the research knowledge, we have the research experience, but that's where it ends. And as we mentioned earlier, even though I'm a part of the Black community, my experience is different than other people in the Black community, you know? So I can't even speak from that perspective. I think the other misconception is that researchers who work in a lab don't need community experience. And that's not the case at all. I often think about, you know, researchers working as bench scientists, you know, they have their test tubes with their sample numbers, six, five, four, three, two, one. And what they have to think about is that sample belongs to John Smith. (laughs) You know what I mean? Who has kidney disease and can't get to a doctor, you know, because he lives in a community who doesn't have public transportation and he has no one to take him there. And I think when all of us think about research from that perspective, that that participant is a person with a story and a life that we look at our work in a different way. And I also think Whenever I look at bench scientists and what they do, that connection to the community is important because even when I read some papers, I'm thinking, what do those titles say? I don't understand it. So if this was a life-saving drug or, you know, whatever for this community, they wouldn't know because they don't get it. So being able to look at it from a community perspective and put yourself in their shoes and talk to them to ask them, how would you want to receive this information? What questions do you have? I think is key. So yeah, those are two misperceptions that, you know, we are the experts and that bench scientists don't need to have a community connection. And that's not true. Those are all great examples. I love the bench scientist example the most probably though, because I think we sometimes forget that everybody is somebody, somebody. There's always like a story. This is somebody's dad, grandparent, whatever. (laughs) And we shouldn't just treat them as the disease or the problem. Exactly. And, you know, if you aren't interacting with the community directly, it's hard to think about that. Mm -hmm. And so I just encourage everyone to think about it from that perspective, like this is a person with a life, you know, just like you, you have your ups and downs, you have your struggles and, you know, positive things happening and think about it from that perspective that these are people or animals. And this this belongs to some living thing or not, but you know what I mean? (laughs) They all have a story. Is there anything else you wish people knew about this research process, community-based research, why it's so important. Take the time that you need to get to know the community and figure out who to connect with in the community. If you can't figure out how to get yourself in there, there is always a trusted figure that knows the community. And if you can connect with them, they can be integral in helping you develop that relationship. We've had that happen in the past where we needed to work with a community partner. And in talking to them, they were able to talk to the community. So 
really try to prioritize the community and building that relationship because that trusting relationship is going to get you further than anything else. In the beginning, Leonor, you mentioned that you're starting a nonprofit. Could you tell us a bit more about the nonprofit and why? Yes. So as I mentioned, you know, my husband and I have traveled all over the country just because of his military career. And so with each place we've moved, I've had to work on a different research team, which means I learn a new institution and cutting through all of that institutional red tape, which can be a lot depending on where you work, getting to know a new research team and the dynamics of their team, learning a new community and just learning a new protocol in general. So I was expected to come in and just hit the ground running because what you don't want is if you're new to a research team and you're going into the community, you don't want to show that you don't know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, they're going to look at you like, I do not want to participate because you need to know what you're doing, especially when you re- mention research and participants and projects and, you know, like they, you really need to know what you're doing. So what I did was try to figure out everything on my own. Like, how do I cut through this red tape? Who do I need to talk to, to figure out this incentive process? And it took a lot of work. It was exhausting to try to figure out how to just navigate through the day-to-day of this new place. And what I found when I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs was that there's power in community. And so I co-founded this project managers resource group where we had program managers, research assistants, research coordinators from our department come together. And mind you, we were in the same department, but we operated in silos. Mm-hmm. figuring out the process ourselves. And when we came together, the the sense of community and relief that, wow, I'm new to, you know, managing budgets. What do you guys do? And then someone will say, I have a template that I use. Let me send it to you. That saves so much time. It increases confidence. It, it shows that people are there to help and provide strategies, and it creates a sense of collaboration and connection. And so from that experience, that is what I've been trying to create. And so over the time that I've been in research, I have seen opportunities that have been afforded to different researchers, you know, versus Black researchers. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed in talking to doctoral students and, you know, undergrad students about some of their struggles on their research journey and how, you know, maybe one conversation with someone changed their entire career trajectory. For example, there was someone who just happened to talk to someone else. They were wanting to go into a doctoral program for research or a PhD. And the person they talked to said, oh, I know about this program where you join, they're looking for Black men you get your degree paid for, like no debt whatsoever. And then afterwards, they still keep up with you and provide you resources, trainings, all that. And he said, if I never had that conversation, imagine what my life would have been like. My financial status would be different. I would be in a whole different mindset. And I thought about that and said, wow, if he would have, you know, been late to that meeting or whatever and missed that connection, his life would have been so different. So 
this organization, Association of Black Researchers, serves as that central resource for everyone, that place of community, that place of collaboration, where we are going to be that one conversation that you should have had that will change your life. And it's membership based with the membership, you get professional development opportunities. So I'm inviting black researchers to come in, talk about qualitative analysis, quantitative analysis, anything you need along your journey to help you advance, to feel like you're being offered support and to advance your skills in order to advance the field. That is my goal. We're going to have quarterly networking sessions, you know, publications like journal clubs and things like that. And then we're going to have um, a membership directory where now you'll have a list of researchers, know their topic areas and be able to collaborate with them because there's power in collaboration, especially if you're competing for these, you know, competitive grants. I think going to one place, knowing you can get opportunities to help you financially is going to be a great thing. And so that's the goal is to support, to advocate for Black researchers. It's multidisciplinary researchers. It's not just focused on community-based researchers. It's anyone along the spectrum who is interested in research and identifies as a Black person. That sounds like an amazing resource. Any closing thoughts? My big thing is find your community. You know, it may not be my association of Black researchers, but it may be somebody in your, you know, network. It may be three people. It may be two people. But I think it's really important to have that community of researchers that you can talk to, bounce ideas off of, and hear about their struggles and how they've handled it, hear about their lessons learned. So always find either a mentor or a group of people that you can engage with. Finally, Leonore, where can people follow you, learn more about your work? The best way um, to keep up with me is to follow me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram at Public Health Culture. So those are the two places you can follow me to find out about everything I'm doing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming to the Good Health Cafe, Leonore. I really enjoyed our discussion. Yes, this was great. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. I really loved hearing Leonora's stories from the field. Please be sure to follow her on LinkedIn and Instagram. If you've been enjoying these podcast episodes, please share them with a friend, spread the news about the Good Health Cafe. And of course, if you've got any feedback, please be sure to send it my way. See you in the cafe next time. Bye.